This is the eighth session, and we are looking at mission tonight. And I'm glad that uh, we are, because it is an important uh, feature uh, of the local church. Now, there are lots of things that uh, we could uh, speak on, other subjects that we haven't covered. This, the eight subjects that we are covering at the local church are by no means exhaustive. But we are dealing with a very important aspect of the local church, and it is global mission. And uh, I'm going to read from quite a lot of passages tonight uh, in different places. I, I don't normally do that when I pre I prefer to speak on a passage, but we're going to read from a number of passages tonight. Um, I'm not going to apologize for that, but if you do think that I would be better to focus on the one or two, then please feel free to tell me afterwards. We're going to ask five questions tonight. We're going to ask why. What, who, where, and how? We're going to ask why mission? What is mission? Who should do mission? Where should we do mission? And then how does the local church fit in into mission? And as this uh, is part of a, a series on the local church, then we are going to focus or spend more time on that last question than we're going to spend on the other questions, um, thinking about how the local church um, is involved in mission. Now, why mission? And I want to... Uh, transport us, if you like, into the future and into heaven before we start looking at details about mission. So please turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. <clears throat> After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honour, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now this is an amazing scene in heaven. And we see God being worshipped. And he is being worshipped by a great multitude 
that no one could number. Now, I suppose in the context, strictly speaking, these are people that have come out of the tribulation, if you read on, but I think it's certainly at least representative of the, the hosts and all the redeemed in heaven that singing praise and worshiping God. And it was a great multitude that no one could number, and they were from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, and they were crying out, salvation belongs to our God. And in this wonderful scene, we see what God is all about. And we see, I think, in this verse, in these verses, what mission is, uh, is about. God is a missional God. And he always has been reaching out to every nation and every tribe and people and languages. It has always been God's desire to reach out to the nations. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 45 verse 22, the verse that Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, was saved through. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God is seeking worshippers from all the ends of the earth. And that's why we should be interested in mission, because God is. And Really, I suppose we could say that's why we are here. We are here to carry out God's mission. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, and in verse 15, he said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Jesus prayed for his disciples, and I think we could say by extension he prayed for us. I do not pray that you take them out of this world. Why? Well, in verse 17, sorry, 18 of John 17, we see why. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into this world. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them. So this is why we are here, brothers and sisters, because we have been sent here by the world. Don't take them out of the world, he prayed. Instead, I'll send them into the world. And why is that? It is to carry out God's mission, to gather the nations to himself. For God so loved the world. That's, that's why we do mission. 
And that's why we should be interested in mission. We could say a lot more about why. But let me just give you a quote that I got from a colleague of mine at Echoes, Rich Harknett. Gave me this quote, and it's very helpful, very challenging. It is not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. So let's lift up our eyes and our minds as we think of this and look at what God's plan is for the world. You know, it's so easy for us to be very um, uh, local. Um, I'm, think, I'm trying to think of a better word, but to think of our locality, this country where we are, and we should, as we'll come to in a minute, we should as well. But let's lift our eyes and let's, let's see what God is and what God's plan is for the world. God is a missional God, and so we should be missional. So, what is mission? What is mission? Let's turn first to Luke chapter 24. This is Luke's account of the Great Commission. We usually turn to Matthew 28 when we think of the Great Commission. And in verse 47 of Luke 24, let's um, read from the middle of Verse 46, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. So we see here that mission is a proclamation. It's a, a word proclamation. It's about um, repentance. It's about forgiveness of sin, and this is what needs to be proclaimed. So, mission or evangelism is very much a, a proclamation. We could read as well, of course, from Romans chapter 10. You don't need to turn to that, but in that chapter, that great chapter about evangelism. Paul says this, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
And we see there in Romans chapter 10 that people were sent and they were sent to preach. And as they preached, people heard. And as they heard, they believed. And the result was salvation. So mission, and this is perhaps, um, you know, very obvious, but I just want to make this clear that the proclamation that the, or the sharing of the gospel is a word proclamation. And we see that it is about making disciples. You know, the Lord said to his disciples in that great commission, as recorded by Matthew in Matthew 28 and verse 18 to 20, he says, go into all the world, go therefore, sorry, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And so, mission is proclaiming the gospel. But it's not just proclaiming the gospel, it is about discipling those who believe. He says here, make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, mission, it's proclaiming the gospel, it's teaching and discipling people, converts who believe, and it is also about planting churches. And we see that as we read through the book of Acts and we read the epistles that Paul writes to the churches that he plants, that mission involves proclaiming the gospel, discipling believers, and then establishing churches, or where there are churches already to place believers in local churches. And we have examples of that throughout Acts. A good example is in chapter 11 and, and verse 19, where we read that those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so we read in verse 25, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found them, him, he brought him to Antioch. For, the, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. And so the message went to Antioch. Many believed and they gathered them together into a church because it is in a church that believers thrive and it is in a church that believers function. And so 
this is what mission is about. It is proclaiming the gospel. It is discipleship. It is establishing churches. Running schools and hospitals and orphanages and other humanitarian work isn't mission per se. That's not to say that missionaries shouldn't be involved in such things. But those really are secondary (coughs) to mission, to the proclamation of the gospel. In the words of John Piper, Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Otherwise, they have a defective heart or a flameless hell. Having said that, it's very interesting to see how the spread of Christianity through mission really has lifted people out of poverty and has made a real change to people's living conditions. It is interesting that it is where missionaries have gone that hospitals have been uh, built, that children have been educated, that orphans have been cared for, and so on. And and it's a fascinating um, area to look at, and many people have written much about it. But mission is first and foremost a message about proclaiming the gospel, making disciples and planting churches. And it is to all the nations that the Lord Jesus sent his disciples. So in in a general sense, it covers evangelism evangelism in our local area when we speak about mission. But in a, in a more specific sense, when we speak about mission, we think of reaching the nations. Um, sometimes, perhaps in the olden days, we would speak about overseas mission. That's perhaps dated language because now the nations have come to this country and we have people on our doorsteps from the nations. We have Chinese students in Aberdeen. We have a Bangladeshi family across the road from us. And so overseas mission perhaps is not the right word. Cross-cultural mission is perhaps a good term to use when we speak about global mission. But... (laughs) It's interesting how people understand that cross-cultural mission. We, um, in the last couple of months at Echoes, I've been dealing with this uh, gentleman who very kindly uh, donated his stocks and shares to Echoes. So he wanted the title of the shares and stocks that he had transferred into the name of of Echoes. And so I've been liaising with this uh, brother and the investment manager trying to um, 
get all this in place. And so after a long process, we got there in the end a couple of weeks ago. And so I sent uh, an email to this man saying, to thanking, thanking him for his very kind and generous uh, donation of his stocks and shares. And I said, please be assured that we would put this um, um, generous donation for the use of cross-cultural mission. And, um, and then he wrote back to me saying, thank you, boy, for this. <clears throat> I am a man of straightforward thinking and dislike jargon. I would like to think that my funds given to Echoes are used to support believers who have gone in faith at the call of the divine to tell of a need of the gospel. Perhaps you would like to tell me the meaning of the jargon phrase cross-cultural mission as it smells to me of liberal humanitarianism. <laughs> Yours in the Lord Jesus, Mr. So-and-so. <clears throat> now, I'm not a man for jargon either, and I like cross, um, straightforward thinking. So when I speak to, about cross-cultural mission, I hope it's not too jargony for you. By that, I simply mean reaching those, reaching all the nations that the Lord has sent us to. And as I said, that has changed so much over time. Reverse mission, people coming to our doorsteps. We had Malcolm Steer at our missionary conference a couple of years ago. I think it was during COVID time. He used to be in Iran or in the Middle East in that country. But now it's really impossible for him to operate there. And so he works amongst an Iranian community in this country. And as I said, we have Chinese students here. We have people from Bangladesh. And so mission, as we'll see in a minute, it's not just about going over there, but it's about reaching people in our uh, locality. So hopefully we have an idea of what mission is. Now, who should do mission and where should we do mission? And I suppose the answer to this already is, is perhaps obvious. And I want to consider these two questions together. As we have already considered from... John's gospel, Christ has sent us into the world. So who should do mission? We should all do mission. We should all be involved in mission. And where should we be involved in mission? Well, let's turn to the book of Acts now <clears throat> and verse and chapter 1, book of Acts. Chapter 1 <clears throat> and verse 6 for uh, context. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is what I thought about you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And so we see how the Lord said to his disciples that they were to be his witnesses <coughs> and they were to start in Jerusalem. But the witness would spread like ripples when you throw a stone into calm waters. And so there was Jerusalem and then they were to go to all Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see how this really um, panned out. And if we turn to chapter 8, for example, in, <clears throat> in the book of Acts, we read this. This is just after Stephen's uh, martyrdom. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so we see how the ripple effect of the gospel is, is, um, is happening in, um, in, uh, in the book of Acts. Stephen is stoned and he died but as someone has said you know satan thought perhaps he had won a victory but the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church someone had said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and so what happened was that this tremendous persecution that the church uh, endured because uh, because of the opposition against the gospel, instead of stopping the gospel, preventing the spread of the gospel, the exact opposite happened. The people were scattered everywhere, just like seed, they were scattered. And wherever they went, they preached the word. They preached the word. So to answer the question, who should do mission and where should we do mission? The answer is very simple. We should all be involved in mission and we should do mission everywhere. So I want <clears throat> to leave this section of our um, look at, at mission just by reiterating the mission is for everyone. God sends each of us to the location he has put us in, whether an office or a school or a university or a neighborhood or wherever. Mission is integral in being a disciple. Mission is integral in being a disciple, a follower of Christ. Uh, and I want you all to wake up tomorrow morning. And uh, I'll be getting up very early in the morning. Because <laughs> I'm taking Drew to the hospital, uh, to the hospital, to the airport. Uh, to, um, but I want all of us to get up in the morning, tomorrow morning, and feel that we have been sent by God to the place where we are heading. 
as God's representatives and as an ambassador for Christ. Okay, so that's the, the why and the what and the who and the where. And then we come to the how. And we will finish on this. How does the local church get involved in mission? We've already seen that mission is about making disciples and planting churches. That is, I suppose, the end goal. Um, but what about established churches? What about this assembly here? What is our role in mission? And I want to think about three areas for us to be involved in mission. And we're going to base this on three model churches in the New Testament, three exemplars. <coughs> And the first exemplar, the first model church, is the church in Thessalonica. Turn with me, please. Sorry for all the uh, different passages we're turning to. I said I wasn't going to apologize. But anyway, uh, first Thessalon Thessalonians chapter 1. This is a model church for us to follow. Verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, this is what I want to think about. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So, firstly, the local church reaches out to its own locality and beyond. And we see a great example of this in this church here in Thessalonica. Paul says of them <coughs> that, word, that the word of the Lord has sounded forth. Again, we think of how mission and how the gospel is a word proclamation, declaration. The, the word of the Lord has sounded out uh, sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. That's where they were. That's where their locality was. And so they, this is a, a wonderful uh, example of people who turned from idols 
to serve the living God, verse 9. And they were waiting for the Son of God to appear, verse 10. And what were they doing whilst waiting? They sounded forth the word of the Lord. Now, I don't think they had halls like we have. They most likely met in houses. And they probably didn't conduct gospel meetings at a set time on a set day. But despite of that, they reached out to their community with the gospel. They had a passion for the lost and they reached out to them. And let's make sure that we do the same. It's great that we can have a family service on a Sunday morning where we invite people from the community, from the locality, and it's great that people come. And it's wonderful when you see fruit of that, like we did this morning, isn't it? When Alan uh, was baptized, having been coming here for a number of years. That's wonderful. But gospel outreach is much, much more than an hour on a Sunday morning or, or a Sunday evening or whenever. And, and let us always remember that. And it's good that we do know that. And it's good that we have other things for other age groups or for specific age groups in different localities as well, in, in Densit or... We invite people here as well for the cafe. But let us reach out to the community. Let us not be confined by these four walls. Reaching schools as well is a wonderful thing. And say so they reached their own locality, but they didn't stop there. They went beyond that. <clears throat> it's not exactly clear how that um, the word had gone out beyond your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Now, it could have been that people were reporting about the believers, about the church in Thessalonica. But it may also have been that it was from the church in Thessalonica that people went out. They didn't just stay in Achaia and, uh, and Macedonia, but they went beyond. And so people, the gospel was spreading. Well, that's certainly what we see in another church, <clears throat> which we'll look at now. So the local church, it reaches out to its own locality and beyond. <clears throat> but the local church also recognizes and releases <clears throat> those who have received a specific call. And I think we see that as we turn to the book of Acts and again and to chapter 13. We have all been commissioned. <clears throat> we have all been called in a sense. We are all witnesses. And as we thought, that is integral to being a disciple of Christ. But there are those who have received a specific call and so we'll read a few verses <clears throat> from 
Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Now there were in the church in Antioch, uh, which we read about in chapter 11, we see how this church is, is maturing. And um, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And this was the commencement of Paul's first missionary journey and the first missionary journey, I suppose, of, of anyone. Yeah, you could say that Jonah was, went on a missionary journey to Nineveh and so on, I suppose you could, but this was at least Paul's first missionary journey. And we see here what the church in Antioch did when there was someone who was called to a specific task for a specific mission, called to be a missionary. The church, what did they do? Then after fasting, verse 3, and praying, they laid their hands on them. They recognized their calling publicly, and, and it, there was a physical laying of hands. <clears throat> and they sent them off. They were released. And so this is an important pattern, I, I believe, a principle, we, a practice we see established here that where there are those who have been called, it could be to a local work, doesn't have to be overseas, or called to um, a, a task overseas that the church recognizes that and releases them for that. Now, it doesn't explicitly say here, but I would be surprised if Paul and Barnabas, when they left Antioch, that they left empty-handed, that there would have been a, a support of them as well. And so the church recognizes those who have received that call. They release them and they are responsible for their subsequent care. And we see when we come to the end of this journey, uh, first Paul's first missionary journey in chapter 14 and verse 24, where did they go after all this? Well, Turn to verse 24 of Acts 14. When, then they passed through Pisidia, and they came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. 
And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And so they were released. They, they were um, recognized. They were released. The church had responsibility for their care. And they reported back to the assembly, back to the church that they had commended. So this is very important. Um, now, there are lots of mission organizations around. And uh, I, I work for one, a mission service organization. Uh, and, and Paul is a trustee of, of ECHOS as well. Now, ECHOS does not commend missionaries. ECHOS does not send out missionaries. Missionaries that are connected to ECHOS, they don't have an ECHOS uniform, and we don't tell them what to do. It is essential for anyone who is um, listed with ECHOS that they are commended from their local church, that they have been sent out and that their local church have verified their calling and support them in their work. And if there's any direction of what they do and where they should go, it should come from the local church who has prime responsibility. Now, Echoes, you know, I, I would say this, of course, but Echoes does an important work in helping. But it is not for us to send, because that is the work of the local church. And so we try to help where we can, of course, with different things. So we see how the local church is involved in that. Now, in this instance, it wasn't a lifelong calling. Paul and Barnabas, they went on their first missionary journey. It was for a specific time, and they were commended for that. Missionary work, and this is going on to another subject or a different uh, line, but missionary work doesn't have to be lifelong. It could be for a specific time at a specific place. I believe that the commending church has a responsibility for supporting the missionary, but for how long, I don't know. It's not clear if that's a lifelong commitment or if the missionary, having been in a place for a while, um, gets support elsewhere. But certainly the, the local church is critical in the work of mission recognizing, releasing, and being responsible for their care. And then finally, the local church is to resource mission worldwide. Now we can go to second and third John, and I think these are good examples, but I just want to turn to the Philippians. And here was another church that Paul planted. You know, he'd gone to Philippi, with Silas and they had preached and Lydia was saved and then they were put in prison and the jailer and his house was, were saved and a church was established and Paul writes to them and he thanks them and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine 
for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so we see here that there is a partnership. Now, Philippi didn't commend Paul, didn't send him out, but they supported him financially. It's clear it's a financial support that he's referring to, at least in part, when we come to chapter 4. And so as a local church, and we are blessed to have many people in employment. We are blessed with having uh, proportionally more riches than most of the world. And so we have a, an amazing opportunity as individuals, of course, but as a local church to resource, to support worldwide mission. Financially, um, but also in prayer, Paul writes to the church in Colossae and he writes in chapter 4 and he, he asks them to pray that God may open to us a door for the word. And so we pray for mission. Paul asks for prayer on his missionary journey <coughs> to the church in Colossae. When we come to second, <coughs> second and third John, it's clear that we are to show hospitality to those who have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the world, as John puts it. That we are to welcome them in our homes and then we are to send them out again. Um, can remember quite the phrase, but not empty-handed, as we send them out again with support. And so, <clears throat> as a local church, we have a tremendous privilege to be involved in God's mission in our own locality and in world uh, and globally. And may, may God help us, all of us, to, for, for this to have a high profile in our church. And it's great that I think it does at Fernley, and I've heard other people say that about Fernley, and it's good that we have now a, 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 a mission wall with up-to-date information. Let's make sure that mission has a high profile amongst us in our prayer life, in our support. And let us all be involved in it. What can you do? Just to give you some practical um, um, things to think about. Perhaps God is going to call you to mission, to a specific task, I'm thinking now. And it's good for us to, to be open to that. It's good for us to read biographies about missionaries. I'm reading uh, a Elizabeth Elliot's um, biography of Amy Carmichael at the moment. Someone else in the house is leading, reading a biography about Jim Elliot. And I would encourage us all to read biographies of people who have gone out in mission. Writing to missionaries. Some of you are writing to missionaries and have update, given us updated uh, 
um, information there. Let's, there's so many ways for us to be involved in mission as individuals and as a local church. Let me just finish with a quote. Again, one that I got from my colleague, Rich. <clears throat> I think I forgot a word, church there. Mission is fundamental to the life of any church, that should say. Hence, a church which neither preaches the gospel nor experiences a burden for the moral and spiritual welfare of those around its doors nor expresses concern for the spiritually lost and the poor and needy, wherever they are found, has surrendered its title to authenticity and is a living denial of its Lord. He who said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who has reached out and you have reached out to us. And we thank you that we will be in that multitude, that great multitude one day, people from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and we'll sing, salvation belongs to our God. Father, we thank you that you've done a great work in our lives and we thank you that you have allowed us to be involved in your work as well. And we pray that you'll help all of us here as individuals and as a church to examine our hearts and to think of how we can be better witnesses for you where we are in our little Jerusalem and Judea, and think perhaps also of how we might be of help even to the ends of the earth. And so, Father, we do pray that you'll work in our hearts and our lives as we give you our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.